scripture reading today is from John chapter 5, John chapter 5, the passage is in your bulletin for your convenience, I'll be reading from my own, uh, my own Bible, which is uh, the 19, 1971 NIV, you have the 2011, there might be a few, a few differences, John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And may God bless the reading of his word today. Uh, just after the service today, there is a newcomer's lunch. If you are a newcomer and have not been to a newcomer's lunch, please stay. Wonderful love. Well, this is the first uh, preaching session for me for 2018. So uh, it's been nice to have two weeks off. And I was sitting over there thinking, wow, I don't want to have to get up and say anything. This is nice. Just sitting here and taking it in. But I have to. Uh, so for the next few weeks, we're going to be doing uh, a little series, which I'm calling One-on-One -on -one with Jesus. One-on-One -on -one with Jesus and uh, a lot of these come from the Gospel of John, and uh, it doesn't take very long to notice a difference between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Uh, those uh, first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we even call them the synoptic Gospels because they seem to cover the same material, uh, the same kind of way, uh, same basic amounts of time in, in the books given to to each of the events, but John comes along and he covers different stories, and so he seems to be quite a bit different, and he writes a little more theologically, 
And uh, the one thing that John does is he seems to pick up on individuals meeting with Jesus. And so he has Jesus and Nicodemus, and he has Jesus and John the Baptist, and he has Jesus and the woman at the well, and then Jesus and this man in John chapter 5. He spends a lot more time with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. So I'm calling it one-on-one with Jesus. Uh, What does Jesus have to say to individuals? Another thing that John does is he doesn't tell you anything without having a theological reason to tell you. He wants to advance understanding of Jesus, why it's so important for you to read this. He's not just telling you, here's what Jesus did, here's what Jesus had for breakfast, and here's the conversation Jesus had around the table. He's telling you significant encounters that further understanding of who Jesus is. And I'm starting with this one because two weeks ago we had John Crozier here and he constantly quoted the same verse. My father is always working and I too am working, as Jesus said. And that is the big theology of this sermon today and the big theology of John chapter 5. Jesus And the Father have a close relationship. And they're doing something and they're working in this world. And it's important for you to know how close Jesus is with the Father. And that's what he's going to get across in John chapter 5. Notice verses 1 through 6. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. John often talks about the feasts and especially the Passover And as he goes into Jerusalem, there's near the Sheep Gate a pool. The Aramaic is Bethesda. And uh, up until the 19th century, uh, they did not believe such a pool existed. In fact, they used to say, this is one of the reasons why John is written so much later. John doesn't know anything about Jerusalem because he talks about this pool. And then the 19th century, archaeology discovered the pool right where John said it was. And uh, furthermore, when we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls talk about this pool. Uh, Further confirmation, John was exactly right. It's funny because before the Dead Sea Scrolls, we used to think John is the most Greek of all of the Gospels. That's what we used to think. We would read it and we'd go, well, it sounds like Greek. It sounds like Greek thinking. So John's writing for Greeks. But now after the Dead Sea Scrolls and looking at what the community in Qumran was writing, the Essenes, we see that John is writing the exact same way they would write. The exact same kind of thinking they had. So now they think John is the most Hebrew of all the Gospels. (laughs) It's funny how that changes. Just a few discoveries. Now they think John is the one who who is most steeped in the thinking of first century Judaism by the way he writes. It sounds so much like them. It's interesting how that happens. And notice he he goes to this pool, and around the pool are lame and blind and paralyzed. Kind of like the emergency room of Jerusalem. Not the place to go if you want to have a good time. 
And there was a man who had been there for 38 years, an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him there, and Jesus knew that he had been there for, been an invalid for 38 years, he said, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Uh, when I read that, I go, um, if you ask that to somebody today, you would get a smart answer. Kind of like, how stupid are you? <laughs> like, of course I want to get well. <laughs> like, like that, that's a ridiculous question to ask me. I'm laying here in an invalid. Do I want to get well? Of course I want to get well. Like, that's just craziness. Uh, I think we're supposed to ask, why does Jesus even ask him this? Do you want to get well? And Jesus is trying to focus attention on himself. Pay attention to me. It's kind of like what he's saying. Pay attention to me. I've got something important to tell you. Do you want to get well? And I like the man's answer. Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. There's been a verse taken out of the NIV, out of the modern versions. It's verse 4. I don't know if you noticed that as we read. Verse 4 is missing. And uh, verse 4, you have to look in your margin. It says in verse 4, They waited for the moving of the waters, and from time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. But the oldest manuscripts don't have that verse. My suspicion is, is that what happened is some scribe put in the margin at some point an explanation as to why he says to Jesus, there's no one to help me into the water. And so he writes in an explanation, they believed an angel would come down and stir the waters and the first person in there would be healed. But notice if you take it out, you're not really missing anything. It's nice to have it in there. <laughs> but if you take it out, it's not, no, no theology is changing. It's funny. Do you want to get well? The answer, I have no one to help me into the water. What's he want Jesus to do? Help him to get into the water. He should have said to Jesus, hey man, heal me. <laughs> That's what I want. Would you please touch me and heal me? He goes, Jesus, I could, I could use a little help getting in the water when it's stirred. <laughs> That's what he's asking. Now, I don't know how the water got stirred. I, 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 I doubt that the angel came and stirred it. My suspicion is that what happened is the, is the wind would blow on the water and people would think, if you get in first, you're going to be healed. might have happened to one person. Or maybe it was spring-fed, and when the spring released water into the pool, it would bubble, and they would think, wow, it's time to get in. I'm going to be healed. It's got special properties. That's what he wants Jesus to do. Listen, when that water bubbles, will you please help me get in there first <laughs> so I can beat everybody else? That's all I need you to do for me. The problem, of course, is he does not know who Jesus is. Healing is beyond his faith. All he can conceptualize is somebody getting him into the water. Um, if you were to read the whole Gospel of John and realize that Jesus is the same as God the Father, Jesus heals, Jesus is the Son of God, you don't just ask that he helps you into the water. 
right? You ask, hey, heal me, please. But it's even one better than that. It's not even to ask, heal me. You might say, save me, please. We'll see that in this story. There's a story told of two ships meeting off the, off the east coast of South America, off the east coast of Brazil. And uh, the one ship had been at sea for a while, and they were dying of thirst. The sailors were dying of thirst. And as the other ship came into view, they sent a message, please send over some water, we're dying of thirst. And the other ship sent back, back the message, lower your buckets. They sent back another message, no. We're dying of thirst. Send us some water. The other ship sent back the message. Lower your buckets. So they, well, we better lower. They lowered their buckets. Sure enough, it was fresh water. They were in the mouth of the Amazon River. And the Amazon pushes fresh water 200 miles into the Atlantic Ocean such a huge flow of water that they were actually floating on fresh water the whole time. There was no need to be thirsty. All they had to do was lower their buckets. Um, that's the way it is with us and Jesus. We're like this man, and we're going, can you help us into the water? <laughs> when you've got the maker of the universe, he can do anything. You're asking him to do the wrong thing. You have unlimited resources at your potential. And this is what you're asking for. Sometimes this is the way we pray. We're, we're praying to the maker of the universe. We're praying to the one who forgives sins and washes them away and makes us clean. And we're praying, Lord, I've got a hurt toe. Please help my toe. <laughs> Lord, all the little things that we're praying. Do we realize who we're praying for and what we could ask for? We don't realize who Jesus is, what he can do, and what he wants to do. We're praying for little bitty things when the captain of our souls, the savior of the world, is listening to our prayers. It's the same kind of thing when Jesus meets the woman at the well. And at one point, Jesus says this to the woman. If you knew what the gift of God was, and you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me, Jesus, for living water. But you don't know the gift of God. You don't know who I am. So you don't ask me for these wonderful things. Well, the man says, I just need someone to get... Help me into the water. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. Picked up his mat and walked. And notice as you go through the rest of the story, this is important. He wants you to understand this is what happened. Pick up your mat and walk. Notice verse 10. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Verse 11. The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Over and over again. Emphasizes that. By the way, you're supposed to, you're supposed to be thinking, who, who could say, pick up your mat and walk? What kind of a doctor does that? That's, that's pretty good. Notice uh, the way Jesus heals. There's no waving of the hands. There's no fancy dance. There's no, there's no magic items. There's no pills and there's no lotions. 
He just says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. But notice there's a problem. Verse 9. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What is Jesus doing? So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. If I was the guy, I would have said, Listen, I haven't carried my mat for 38 years. <laughs> I've had enough rest from carrying my mat. I believe Jesus did it deliberately on the Sabbath. But you're supposed to go, there's a problem. Jesus is great. He can heal a man. Uh-oh, there's a problem. Jesus did it on the Sabbath. Maybe he's not so great after all. Why would he do that on the Sabbath day? Um, many, many of you are old enough and have uh, lived in uh, strict Christian homes to uh, have had many restrictions put on you on the Sunday. I've talked about it before. We had a swimming pool. We were allowed to swim on the Sabbath. We just couldn't invite friends to swim with us on the Sabbath. Ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous rule, right? I remember, I remember one, one, summer, one summer day, it was so hot, the next-door neighbor, a little kid, was looking over, the, looking over the fence, and we were swimming in the pool. So hot, and he's looking, oh, I would just want to come and swim in your pool. That's kind of like the face. No, it's a, it's a Sunday. You can't swim in our pool on a Sunday. Every other day of the week you can swim with us, but not on a Sunday. Only we can use it on a Sunday. Right? We had some ridiculous Sunday rules. In fact, I was thinking about this. I was thinking if you really wanted to put this into practice, the day you should work for other people would be a Sunday. That would be a great day to go mow somebody's lawn. Do you imagine doing that in the old days? Mowing lawn for somebody on a Sunday? Oh, man, you'd be shot. Of course, when I was a kid, people used to go out to restaurants on Sunday. I could never figure that out. We would sit in church and we would think, bad people work on Sunday. Bad people work on Sunday. The service would be over, let's go out to eat on a Sunday. <laughs> How do you think that food's getting cooked and served to you? Uh, that kind of hypocrisy drove many people from the church. right? Just plain old, plain old hypocrisy. And people my age and younger looked at it and saw that's just ridiculous. Older people making a bunch of ridiculous rules that they don't follow themselves, but they want everybody else to follow. That's what's happening with this man. How dare you pick up your mat and walk on a Sabbath? You're law-breaking. You're working. You shouldn't do it. And his response was, the man who healed me told me to do it. By the way, notice... He doesn't want to get into trouble, so he's casting the blame on somebody else. That's a good Sabbath day activity. <laughs> blame somebody else for when you're caught. The man who healed me told me to do it. That should have been the end of the discussion. A guy healed you on the Sabbath? Wow, God is doing a great work. You go ahead and keep carrying your mat. No. How dare somebody do it? Who told you that? We want to get his name because that person is in big trouble. He doesn't know his name. I don't know. I don't know who did it. 
Sometimes in the Gospels, you're not healed unless you have faith. Is that right? Yeah. Some Gospels, unless you have faith, you're not healed. This man has no faith. He has no clue who Jesus is. No idea. He just knows he told me to pick up his mat and walk. He did it. There's no faith at all. Don't know who he is. Later, Jesus found him at the temple. And Jesus said to him, notice this is important, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who made him well. I I, I love this for a couple of reasons. First of all, Jesus goes and tells him to stop sinning, and he doesn't like it. So now he goes and tells the Jews it was Jesus. That's who told me. that's That's who made me well. That's who told me to carry my mat and break the Sabbath. It's Jesus' fault. How dare he tell me to stop sinning? (laughs) Going to get him in trouble. He's going to say things like that to me. I'm going to get him. Notice this. Why does Jesus heal this man? There are two reasons why he, well, more than two reasons. Number one, Jesus does it out of simple kindness and compassion, yes. Number two, Jesus does it so that he will know something about who Jesus is. And that's why Jesus goes and tells him. I'm the one who did it. And number three, Jesus heals this man so that he will do good, live a holy life, and not sin. That's why Jesus heals him. He doesn't just want him to be whole physically. He wants him to be whole spiritually. But after he is healed, what's the first thing he does? He goes out and he sins. Right? Woohoo! I'm the healthiest I've been in 38 years. I'm going to go do bad things. I don't know what he does. That's what he does. Read a novel once. Science fiction, it's not true. In the novel, there was a leper. And the leper was healed. And after he was healed, here he had been a leper No one could touch him. No one could be around him. He's healed of his leprosy. The feeling came back. And so the first thing he does is he makes a sexual advance on a woman and takes advantage of her. That's the first thing he does. I'm healed. I go out and I do something wrong. That's what this leper, that's what the blind man, that's what the invalid does. He's healed. He goes out. He does something wrong. He goes to the temple. Jesus says, stop sinning. Or something worse is going to happen to you. Um, Jesus saves you. He saves you. Forgives your sins. Brings you into God's family. Transfers you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And he does that for a reason. And one of the reasons is so that you will live a holy life. You will live for him. Here's what Romans 6 says. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We were crucified with Jesus so that we could be free from sin so that we can live a holy life. 
and he says in Romans six twelve, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for, for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. It's like Jesus is saying to you, stop sinning. Stop it. That's why I have bought you with my blood. That's why I have brought you into the kingdom of God so that you could live a righteous life. Where Titus 3 says this, He saved us. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, so that by being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. It's like he's got a, a, one of those yellow markers and he's highlighting it and he's underlying it and he's got a star in the margin. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God, is that us? Those who have believed in God, right? That's us. May be careful to devote themselves to good works. He saved us so that we won't sin and so that we'll do good works. That's why he saved us. Well, he made this man whole so that this man would be holy. Verse 16 through 18. Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, here's why I heal on the Sabbath. This is what I'm doing. My father's always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, not only is he loosening the Sabbath, and by the way, for the Jews, that was the number one plank. That was the number one, the number one thing for Judaism. You've got to be circumcised and you have to keep the Sabbath. That's it. You do those, you're golden. And Jesus comes along and he's doing things on the Sabbath. And they're saying, you're destroying our religion. And he's going, no, I'm not destroying your religion. Listen, my father's always at his work. I, too, am working. I'm doing this because God's going all out on the Sabbath, and I'm going all out on the Sabbath. Now, think about it. What is God doing on the Sabbath day? Well, he's doing a lot on the Sabbath, thank, thankfully. He, he answers our prayers on the Sabbath day. Uh, he listens to us on the Sabbath day. He upholds creation on the Sabbath day. But the number one thing that I, I would say God is doing is he is rescuing the world from sin and he is trying to solve our sin problem. That's what he's doing on the Sabbath day. 
right? He created the world in six days and then he rested. But then sin entered the world and he got busy again. And the solution was to send Jesus Christ into the world. And so he is saving us by sending Jesus and Jesus comes into the world to save us, to rescue us from sin. That's what he's doing. And he's going to do it every day. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. He's going to work every day on saving us, rescuing us from sin, until he dies on the cross. And now guess what? When we come and believe in Jesus, we enter a rest. There's no more hard work to earn God's favor. We no longer have to work to, to sacrifice or uh, make up for our shortcomings. He has solved all of those problems and has brought us close to God. Now we can rest as we found Jesus Christ. But God is always working on saving us and rescuing from sin, and so Jesus is too. And that's exactly what he's doing in this chapter. As he goes to this invalid and he says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Do you want to be well? Just get me into the water. Pick up your mat and walk. But that's only half of it. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. That's why Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. To save this man so that he would be rescued from his sin. Secondly, notice the close relationship between the Father and Jesus. The Father's always at work, so I'm working. And they're going, oh, sounds like he thinks he's just like God, the Father. That's exactly what he's saying. Whatever God does, that's what I do. Next week, we'll flesh that out. Notice verses 19 and 20. It's not in your bulletin. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. Uh, this morning, what is it that you're asking Jesus to do for you? Are you asking him to help you with your finances? Are you asking him to help you with your health? Listen, he's so much more than that. Ask him to save you, and he will. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.